This episode of the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast is brought to you by Tudor Collegiate Strategies. For nearly two decades, athletic departments and coaches have relied on Dan Tudor and his team to create winning recruiting plans, tell effective stories to their prospects, and help get the commitments from the recruits they really want. Bring us in to lead a live recruiting workshop on your campus this year, or talk to us about working one-on-one with you as a client. Visit dantutor.com after the show for all the ways we've been helping to build winning programs and successful college coaching careers. And now it's time for the show. That's right. It's time for today's episode of the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast with your host, undrafted 1988 NBA rookie and America's recruiting guru, Dan Tudor. And welcome to today's episode of the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast. This is Dan. Hope you're doing great. Really interesting topic we're going to dive into today and very detailed, too. I was thinking about this, uh, getting ready to start the podcast, that I don't think we've, we have taken a dive this deep into such a specific topic ever. Uh, and it's all thanks to some research done by today's guest, Matt Garrett. He is a sports management professor at Loris College, and he has done a really interesting piece that I think is relevant, really insightful. It is a fascinating conversation that you're going to listen to. It's all about how messaging, which of course we're big on here at Tudor Collegiate Strategies, the right kind of messaging. It's all about messaging from athletics and admissions to student-athletes not projected to be major impact varsity players. So for those of you at smaller schools, this is the athlete that is uh, coming in, their depth, developmental athletes, uh, they are uh, helping admissions with numbers, those types of athletes, what is the impact on the messaging? Are they getting accurate messaging and how can admissions and athletics work better together to make sure that they do a good job of connecting with these student athlete prospects. So like I said, very detailed, really interesting topic. And if you coach at a small school, you're going to love it. And even if you coach at a larger school, it's an insight into how messaging works, what connects an athlete with a school, how they make that decision. And so we dive into all that. And I'm not going to waste any more time because it's a very detailed, long discussion. And I want you to just uh, take it in, absorb it, and see how you can use it to become a better recruiter at your school. So we talked with, uh, like I said, coach, I'm sorry, uh, Matt Garrett, uh, not a coach, but a sports management professor at Loris. And we started off the conversation really by asking him what got him into this topic. Why was this the thing he wanted to focus on? This particular topic, you know, so I've always worked um, or attended small private liberal arts colleges that are NCAA Division III athletics affiliated. I've coached back in a different lifetime. Um, my kids now both, um, well, my two oldest sons um, are student athletes or, or were student athletes in the case of my oldest. And, you know, I, I've seen as as school, right, times are, are challenging in higher education now. I've seen more of an emphasis on schools using athletics to leverage enrollment. And I've, and I've seen then kind of the end result of that is roster sizes getting questionably high, you know, and, and what real, and so the main input, I mean, I've always had an interest in recruiting. I've done, I've been a recruiter. I've done research on it. You know, um, a couple of years ago, I I had um, a student um, who, he was one of our sport management majors um, or he was going, he was en route to to be in that. And I I was part of his recruitment. I was certainly talking the academic side. I knew he was coming here also for a sport as well. I knew that that particular coaching staff saw him kind of as the quote unquote roster filler. And I hate using that term, but that is a term that, that that's you. Sure. Um, he, he wasn't, um, you know, wasn't my place to tell him as the sport management professor, Hey, here's what your, these coaches really, really think of you. And I just remember um, him come, him showing up and, and all that on campus. And, and it, it was real disillusioning to him. I mean, I, he was in my office more than once saying, Gosh, you know, this is kind of you know preseason stuff's happening, and I'm not even on the coach's radar, and you know I can't even, you know, I have to go out of my way just so they'll even let me in, you know, into the workout area, and because I, I don't understand, and 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 what what really happened there was with his lack of familiarity, he wasn't aware, him, he and his family weren't aware that one 30 minute meeting with an assistant coach on a college visit 
you know, he thought meant that meant he was a recruit. And I'm sure that he was getting form emails and I mean, he was getting some of like the, the canned things as well. Um, but he really didn't understand where his place really was on that recruiting depth chart. And what happened here? I'm not saying, I mean, as my research would suggest, it's happening. This isn't an isolated thing that happens at the place I'm working, right? And oh, we're doing bad stuff here. This is this is how things are working at similar colleges, certainly across the Midwest, and I really believe across the country. So that was kind of my main impetus, and, and um, to really look at what's the messaging that these that. And, and, and in the end, this student's fine. He, he wound up doing a second sport. He's doing great in the classroom. He's having a great experience. It worked for him. Right. I think um, all of us, probably Dan, yourself included, we all know for students that, wow, then they transfer or or, or what have you. And, and that's not, sometimes that's a good situation. Sometimes that's not. And so I really wanted to get get at, okay, are, are, is the messaging being, is it deceptive? I mean, what's what's going on here? Um, in the messaging, and what type of pressure are these coaches under from either the enrollment management or from higher ups to to deliver roster sizes that might be incompatible with legitimate opportunities? Um, and so that's really that's kind of what uh, that's kind of what drove this. Wow! So <clears throat> so much to dive into. <laughs> great great opening statement and kind of setting the table for it. I've been on campuses. I've been on one campus. I'm not going to name the campus, but I'll say that uh, working with one of the coaches there who was about to leave, actively looking for another job, wanted to leave. He did leave. Told me that, uh, look, the, the, it has gotten so bad here, uh, to your point, Matt, what you're, what you're outlining here. It's gotten so bad at our school that they just want me to bring in numbers. They know these, these players, student-athletes, aren't going to be here the next year. They don't care. They're okay with the transfer part. They just need to get their numbers for this current year. And it had reached a point where he had kind of a moral problem with that, and I didn't disagree with that. Um, so let me keep it in a big picture sense before we dive into some of the details here. Um, would you agree this is a this is a growing problem among colleges that uh, that do look at athletics as kind of not just a filler for what they what they fall short into admissions but they really are kind of building this into budgets that if we grow athletics if we start adding teams if we add a junior varsity team if we you know instead of you know 14 players on a basketball roster we ask the coach to recruit and, and coach 22 players on a roster or 25 or um do you see this as a growing problem i guess that's my main question uh, and certainly focused on Division Three NAIA, smaller private liberal arts schools, uh, but even going into um, some of the you know medium-sized schools, it seems like it's it's a problem that's growing and and spreading a little bit among college athletics. I do, you know, and um, I recently saw the announcement at, at Hilbert College, and, and I've reached out to those folks. They're adding football, they're adding track and field. And in the official statements, it, you know, it, it comes out, yeah, they're trying, it's it's a way to grow enrollment. Um, as part of my research, you know, Fontbonne College down in the in, in St. Louis, they've added sprint league football. I'm not, I didn't even know what that was. It's football for, for those that weigh 178 pounds or less, um, all part of getting students. Um, you know, so yes, I, I mean, I, if we if we say it's a problem, and 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 I think we can make, we can make that argument. Is it a growing trend? At, yeah, I think that trend's already been there. And um, you know, Adrian College in Michigan, and I had the great opportunity to interview President Jeff Docking, and also read his his book. You know, the Adrian model was just add every single sport and extracurricular activity, not just sports, um, as a way to to grow enrollment, and and it's worked there. Um, I mean, it's really it's worked. There. I mean, it's they've been it's been successful for them, and. You know, we know that numbers of high school, especially here in the Midwest and on the East Coast, number of, of high school graduates are going down and are really going to go down for the next three to five years. Right. Schools, they're trying to get into new markets. At the same time, they're, they're trying to figure out what can we do. Um, well, and, and, you know, to be clear, too, my comments and even your comments, I don't think there's anything wrong with adding sports. I don't think, you know, that you refer to it as the Adrian model. I've been to the school, been to the campus. Uh we worked with coaches there um, in programs, and you know, I think it's a that that in and of itself, I think, is a smart, viable way to grow and and keep a college healthy. 
you know, where I think it does cross the line, like the the um, situation I mentioned a second ago, where a coach was just told by administration that, hey, we don't care if they leave, we just need to get them here so that we hit our number and we get that money for the first year and then they're going to leave and you're going to have to do the same thing the next year. I mean, that's where you cross, in my opinion, a moral line where you're doing things on behalf of the college that are really going to damage the academic the academic career and even the future of a of a student or a student athlete if that's sort of the if, if that's the the uh, the goal is you know, we just want to grow the roster as big as possible so we get that money and then they leave and you know we'll do it again the next year versus you know again adding sports as a way of building an athletic department building a um, you know building a campus or keeping it healthy because I think the one thing with a student athlete going to a small private liberal arts college Midwest or anywhere else in the country um, and there certainly are a lot of those in the Midwest um, I think they are they're bought into that you know the college that college model they they want to go to class they want to compete in the sport they have you know high degree of, of loyalty to the school so I think there's a lot of reasons why why uh, that um, that that works but when it crosses on that that other side that's where you know i think you and i probably both have a problem with that oh yes and i would say you know fortunately in, in the research that i did that that what you describe um fortunately i didn't see it that coaches didn't report it that direct now i think you know a common theme that that emerged is i think coaches perceive that yes the 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 enrollment management team the 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 upper administration they recognize and might not care if they don't retain them on their team but i've never heard it so well i mean so yeah i mean i've never heard it so blatant i think they're that we don't care if they even stay at the school i i think my experiences is more yeah we understand that you can't keep everybody happy when you have numbers of this size but we're still hopeful though that you know they're coming to they're, they're going to buy into our into our college and the other things that we're selling and we'll we'll stay here I, I think definitely from my experiences that's where the administrations are, are coming from but yeah what you describe if it's very purposeful yeah you know, hey just get them here and then we'll get the next group next year yeah that's, and that's obviously an, an extreme example yeah um uh but but i'll even go you know to the point that you brought out matt that when you recruit, let's just say, a basketball player or a football player to come to school, and their main driver, at least at 17, 18 years old, as they're making that decision, is I want to go play sport. And yeah, I'll get the degree. That's fine too. I'll, I'll figure that out. But I really, I'm, you know, you remember how we were, mm -hmm. you know, coming out of high school. Um, that's our mindset. Uh, and so I think the reality is, and I think admissions and administration on college campuses know this that if you recruit a basketball player to come and he shows up and there's 25 kids on the team and now, you know, you, he gets, he starts to have, uh, you know, putting forth comments like the one student athlete, um, the, uh, the sports management student that, that you talked about at the open, um, are they going to just stay and get their degree or are they going to leave the school and search for another place to play basketball? It's probably door number two that, that happens. Um, and again, but I think it all is a symptom of a, a, a bigger issue, which is what your study goes into and and how this relationship between coaching staffs and admissions officers and what the message is to recruits, um, you know, as far as their contributions, uh, I, I think it goes straight, uh, it goes straight to that. So uh, just for people, and, and we'll try to link to as much information as possible and as much uh, detail, maybe even a copy of the of the um, uh, the presentation that you've done on many campuses uh, about the the research process, can you just kind of set the table on how you did the research and where you went, and just sort of give a summary as we as we dive into what some of the findings were, which are really interesting and I think very relevant. No, sure. So um, what I did, right? So I interviewed. It wound up being a total of thirty-one NCAA Division three coaches um, and also a handful of administrators. The focus of my study was at Division three colleges in Iowa. Um, it was a stratified random sample, meaning I did my best and it didn't always work out the way I had hoped. I, I did my best to try to have relative equal representation of all the sports. You know, that's how my sample was set up. I, I ran as, you know, some coaches didn't want to do it or some athletic directors wanted to 
funnel me more to, to other coaches. Um, but no, so, but that really was, so did those interviews, it, they were either in, in person, I traveled to their campuses or we did it, you know, um, electronically had a, had a set of eight questions that, that I was, that I asked each person, um, the coaches were happy to talk in, in almost all, all cases, you know, to really kind of get into, I think, I think coaches felt like, um, they finally had someone listening to them, um, you know, overall, but that's really kind of, you know, then I, I looked for common themes, right? So I had all those, you know, you're transcribing the notes, you're seeing what common themes emerge. Um, and then you really, you're looking at some of those strong quotes, everything stayed anonymous, right? So right. even no coach would even be, I, you know, no one should even be able to identify who it was. Cause I, all descriptors such as schools and all that kind of stuff were, were removed. You know, I think one thing, you know, when you looked at the Division Three schools here in Iowa, most were part of the American Rivers Conference, you know, to use a power, to use a Division One term, our conference, and I say our conference because I'm employed at, a, at one of those schools, um, would be a, a Power Five conference. You know, our, the American Rivers Conference is an athletic elite league in, in, in Division Three. I think I can make that argument based off Learfield Cup points. Yeah. So that means, so that means it's, a, it's a niche, right? It's, it, there's schools where athletics is important. Um, no doubt about that. Um, but still, I think it's, it would still be representative of small private, small private colleges throughout really the, the country. You know, there's division three schools that are part of a state school system, like in Wisconsin, New York, and California. I, I think those results would be much different. Um, those schools have larger enrollments. They don't need athletics as much to, to drive enrollment. And then also, you know, you get some research one schools like Johns Hopkins and university of Chicago and Washington university out of St. Louis, yeah, those schools also are kind of stand on their own, right? Um, where athletics right. is just a small part of, of of them. So, but I think for probably 300 of the 400 NCAA Division three schools, I think, you know, I think this this research would would be applicable. Yeah. What's interesting, what you just said is that the coaches were anxious to talk to you about this. And what that tells me is that I'm... I'll, I'll make the statement. And I think I agree with my own statement that I'm going to make, uh, maybe not surprisingly, is that they feel frustrated. Uh, they get that they're an important part of the whole admissions uh, aspect of this, and I think they're on board with it in general. Um, I always hear about frustrations at the Division three level with how many kids they want us to bring in, or you know, we know these you know, kids are going to have a problem breaking the roster, and so there's there's a little you can feel like the rumblings. Uh, what it tells me in them being anxious to talk to you is that they're not trying to do something that is, um, they're not, they're not, it's not them saying, boy, I want a big, huge roster of 25 basketball players, or I'm a football coach. Of course, I want 175 players on the roster. That's my dream. It's not because as we all know, as a coach, you have a harder time. I mean, almost proportionally, the, the larger the roster goes up, harder it is to actually be an effective coach because you get into then game, you know, just crowd control and and you know you have more personalities to deal with, more people to teach, and you don't zero in and really get um, um, really get down to developing great individual student athletes. So, are we saying? Did your research show that this is, or did the coaches that you talked to talk about the fact that this really is being driven from admissions? That there is some, there, there is on on the average campus uh, that there is a source for this pressure. If we're going to maybe label it as pressure to bring in uh, just numbers, is that coming from admissions, or is it coming from the coaches, or is it some other department or entity that that I'm not mentioning here? It's coming. Yes. Th thank you, Dan. It's coming from enrollment management and upper administration. It's certainly not coming from, in some cases, it might be coming from the coaches, you know, because co some coaches know that they need to, their rosters are real, are, are sure. low, but no, in most cases, it's it's not coming from, from them. So, and for some of the reasons that, that you cited, um, right. you know, a common theme that emerged was that ability to deliver the experience that at a small college, part of what is being sold, you know, and so they talk about, facility size, staffing size. Um, yeah, the more player, the more student athletes you get, the more likely that you're going to have a troublemaker, right? So there's, um, that that then takes much more attention from them. So the, the whole thing 
delivering the experience um, really was some was a very common theme. And no, oh, yeah, and to back, it's it's coming from. And sometimes they don't know where it's all coming from. They just get told a number. You know, um, I think two thirds of of them of of those that responded that number. Now sometimes you know they either had some say in it. So it's not like in every single case there you know coaches aren't at least having a say. But two thirds of the case, a number that they either they had input from or didn't, someone outside their coaching staff was telling them their 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 goal. Sure. Um, and, and look, let's be fair to admissions too. I mean, I don't want to throw yes. an admissions department or but, enrollment management at a school under the bus. They may be getting pressure from people even higher up on the yes. the campus food chain. So. So let's go to the try to define the source of the problem. This maybe would be more your opinion than what you found through the research. Is it just because, I mean, one of the facts that you stated early on in the in the conversation was that in the Midwest where this study was done, although I think you could say the same many parts of the Eastern U.S. and, and certainly uh, maybe even in the West, uh, where there's fewer Division three and smaller private liberal arts schools, but in the Midwest and East, um, you, you have this shrinking population you have fewer uh, students and student athletes coming into the pool. You hit it right on the head that, you know, we're going into this time, you know, here as we sit here in 2022, you know, 2023 through 2026 is going to be a really interesting and then it's very stressful time for small colleges because the pool goes way down because of all the kids not born in the 2008 during the, the last recession. And, so we put all that together, there's financial pressure. Is that really the core of it is that these colleges are under financial stress and their solution is we need more kids. And then there's not more students, but I can add more athletes to the roster because there's way more athletes at the high school level who wanna play who normally wouldn't get the chance, but now we're gonna give them the chance. Did I lay that out correctly yep. or what, what are your thoughts on that? No, you're right, that's exactly it. There, There's worries. Um, there, there's worries about meeting numbers to, and 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 staying viable. You know, and I, when I say, I mean, I don't mean door, you know. Although some, we've already seen some colleges close. I don't think any of the schools for which I studied are are in any imminent danger of of closing. But sure. in the next five, ten years across the country, we're gonna we're gonna see more small colleges close. Um, I, I mean, I think you know we're naive if, if we don't think that. So yes, I, I think it's there's this pressure that we've got to find enrollment. Now, coaches would sometimes throw it back um, in the conversations is, why can't we get more non-athletes? You know, in other words, sometimes they were saying, hey, admissions folks, obviously, except for financial aid, because at the Division three level, they, you know, coaches can't really have much of a role in that. They're like, you know, leave us alone. We'll get our numbers. Right. You go get other, you go get the other students. Um, and I think in a lot of these campuses and, and, the, and the schools that I studied, the percentage of the student athletes to the student population was significantly higher than what the Division Three reports it being national. Now, again, of course, then you, you know in the national statistic you get the WashU's and the Wisconsin Whitewaters sure. and those larger schools. Right. But no, it's you know, I mean, on my campus, um, according to IPEDS data, right? So a legitimate source, we're at fifty nine percent of our student population are, are student athletes, and and that's a lot. That's high. And but there are other schools in our study that that were in a very similar boat. Which begs a whole other question for a different conversation is at what point have you has it really changed the culture now we still have great students here so right i don't believe in a stereotypical jock culture i don't i don't think that exists in in, in many places but it makes it harder maybe to recruit the non-athletes when they see that the entire that, that so much of the college's emphasis is on something that isn't their passion sure sure um you know to dive in again on the admission side and this is not the conversation to try to to diagnose what maybe the issue is on that side of campus. But in the work we do with admissions offices and Jeremy Tears, our director of admission services here at Tudor Collegiate Strategies, he does a lot of work. Uh, he and his team go to campuses all over the country. I've talked to admissions departments. I love it if an admissions department sits in on a workshop I'm doing on recruiting with athletics, because I think at a small school, especially, the two have to work together. My overall feeling after having admissions personnel in a workshop, getting to talk to them and and just hearing all the voices. And I'm gonna boil it down to a very sort of 
summary thing and there's always differences campus to campus, but you have on the athletic side, coaches, that's their job is to win and they love winning. And that's why they're coaching and putting up with all the other stuff that they, uh, that they put up with is because there's a wire loose somewhere in our heads that we just love being a coach. And there's that winning the competition interaction with student athletes. There's that X factor of college athletics and that's why they do it. And they're there at their job, um, recruiting all the time, spending their own money to go out and recruit. It's a core part, but they have to, to build a, a winner. So that's what's in it for them. We flip over to admissions and typically not always, but typically if I had to, generate a profile of what I've come across as a typical admissions uh, representative, which is the core. I mean, that's, that is, if, if this is a business, those are your outbound, those are your salespeople out that the cash flow of the school really depends on those, the ability of that group, those, those admissions representatives to take somebody from a point of interest to a point of enrolling in the school as a student. Typically, what we find is that that is a younger individual, 23 to 27, love the college campus feel. They um, love talking. They're very outgoing. Uh, they are extroverts and they are also maybe pursuing a master's at the same time or some, there's something else that they're doing in addition to admissions. And I think the model used to be as I've talked to different enrollment managers and VPs of, of enrollment that at a college campus, they needed people to more like manage the hordes of, of many that were coming in to try to, you know, get into the campus and they were going to show the campus process, the paperwork, and there's all this interest. We need somebody to help manage it. And now it's flipped to where there's fewer people and there's more of a need for really the, the, talents and abilities of an individual to go out and, and say, hey, you're, you've indicated some interest. Here's why you should come to Loris or Buena Vista or whatever the school is that I happen to be uh, happen to be working at. And that's where it's falling short is that a lot of the skill sets aren't there, um, which is why Jeremy and his team is very busy, to be honest, because there's I think enrollment directors are realizing what uh, what some of the deficiencies are. Um, but again, it sort of comes back to then the coach has to manage all those people coming in and the roster of, you know, again, example I've been using of 25 basketball players. Yeah. And, and, and you use that example of probably at the majority of the schools I talked to, it's we're talking 35 basketball players. Right. Yeah. Um, but no, Maybe being too kind. <laughs> yeah. But one of the common themes really was, yeah, coaches perceive. And, and again, this is not where I, I, I agree, Dan, this is. I don't ever want this to be a, a bash admissions and that's not what you're doing. And that's not what I'm doing either, but I think it's important to, to accentuate that point. Um, but coaches would per perceive that, that the admissions counselors are young and, and their turn and constant turnover because they are that, that age range that, that you described. I actually, you know, I think you described pretty well the individuals who are going in, into that for as an entry-level job. Some of the respondents even indicated, boy, it just seems like it's becoming a postgraduate internship more than a, a job. And, hmm. you know, whether that's accurate or not, it's, I don't I don't know that I can say that. But the turnover it was said by almost every, at every single school I talked to is, you just, you know, which means they're, the coaches who typically are staying a little longer aren't forming the relationships, you know, because you have a relationship with someone when you're having a down year or if you're struggling over, hey, you know, I, I, this this one young woman can't really play. I really don't want her. You know, if you have a relationships with someone and a trust that you've built up over a set period of time, it's easier to have those conversations as opposed to, gosh, every six months, it's a new new people. I, right. I have to get to know. I don't have those relationships. I can't have those same type of conversations. Uh, no, Matt, and that's such an important point that goes even deeper into what we were just talking about that I think for an athletic director and for a director of admissions or whatever the appropriate title is at, at a college campus, to recognize what you just the, what you just laid out, that this comes down to something as simple as relationships or a coach not feeling confident that admissions can do their job or admissions looking at coaches you know, uh, you know, in a certain way that might be negative or there's a stereotype about a coach and, and also somebody admissions that the other party just can't get past. And that 
we've been a part of t- of times where we have to bring athletic and admissions together and teach them how to actually, I'll say, do a part of their job, sort of updating each other on conversations with students and student athletes and creating that because it's not happening naturally and it's really hurting um, colleges and, and, and also college athletic departments because you know, if you have a good successful coach who's a good person and committed to the university, when we ask them to do stuff way beyond what a coach should be asked to do in terms of numbers, and they're going to look for another job. And yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think one of the, so yes, again, and some schools, yeah, they're having those very deliberate meetings because they aren't happening natural. Even during your season, it's the perfect time for preseason. What's preseason? It's the new source for coaches, athletic directors, and campus leaders who want the most advanced approach to social media, marketing, and telling the story to their prospects and recruits. Led by former college coach and marketing expert Jason Schmidt, Preseason offers colleges and programs cost-effective, next-generation marketing plans that are proven to work. Preseason is the name to remember when you're looking to tell your story more effectively on social media, your print publications, and on campus. Go to hellopreseason.com to learn more. That's hellopreseason.com. NCRC is back. The 2022 National Collegiate Recruiting Conference is relaunching their big summer gathering of coaches, athletic directors, and experts from college athletics. And it's all happening in beautiful Chapel Hill, North Carolina this summer, July 18th through the 20th. Will you be there, coach? It's the only source for in-person idea sharing, networking, and planning for your upcoming recruiting year. Plus, it'll feature expert speakers and coaches who will give you ideas and strategies you can't get anywhere else. To find out more about this summer's premier recruiting event, go to dantutor.com conferences. Register now to save your seat, and we'll see you there, coach. Liking what you hear on the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast? Then you're going to love our special training and information site, Honey Badger Recruiting. It's where Dan Tudor and his team of experts answer recruiting questions, publish the latest trends and research, and give college coaches the next level training they need to connect with their prospects. Visit dantutor.com and click on the Honey Badger link to become a subscriber. And if you're already signed up, Make sure you're up to date with all the latest information the Tudor Collegiate Strategies team has for you today. Again, just go to dantutor.com and click the Honey Badger link. It's your secret weapon in the nonstop battle to win the best recruits. Heading into the most challenging recruiting year of their careers, what are more and more college coaches and athletic directors using to give them an edge? ARI Recruiting. It does more than all the other recruiting contact management apps and websites do with no lag time, no lost information, and plenty of next generation features that has it beating the competition day in and day out. Oh, did I mention it's probably a lot less than what you're using now? Go to ARIRecruiting.com now, get a demo, and find out why this is the recruiting tool you've been waiting for. Now, some of the um, administrators I talk to, so, uh, you know, vice presidents of admissions or, or, or higher, you know, one of the things that, that they indicated, and I, and I think it, it bears um, it bears some other conversation, is there's not enough conversations on the athletic side as to what it means to be a Division three coach. Mm-hmm. And so there's some of their frustrations, right? And, um, you know, in, in the Masters of Coaching Leadership program, for which I, I teach in here, and we get some coaches at the high school level, but others college, you know, I'm really trying to make sure to educate those, those young women and men as, you know, or whether it should come from head coaches or athletic directors that, yeah, there's got to be a mentoring that yes, you're a coach and you're there to build relationships with student athletes. And yeah, you're there, you know, cause you love the competition. Um, but you also, you're there to really also be a part of the enrollment management team. And right. as one of my final recommendations, you know, I, when I gave recommendations to a bunch of different entities, my clear recommendation to coaches is, yeah, that ship has sailed. You, you know, because some coaches are fighting that. Hey, I'm here to coach. I'm here to coach. I'm not here to be an admissions rep. Yeah, no, that, that's that. No, that's a part, definitely a part of your job at a Division three or any private uh, liberal arts or private Christian school in NAIA. That's, that's part of your job. Uh, okay, so we spent now 30 minutes um, identifying the problems of the world and trying to solve them. Let's dig into the actual study that you did. I'm going to ask you or to 
your opinion and also some of the facts around where you found or what the reasons were that you saw athletes choosing the school that they ended up choosing? What were what were some of the headlines that came away from that? And what were some of the things that either surprised you or sort of confirmed what you maybe thought was going to happen? Yeah. So again, really, from so from the literature review, really what, um, so I wouldn't say big surprises. Um, yes, the academic piece is, you know, student athletes are considering that. You know, I mean, yes, as they hope, as hopefully, right, as a professor, I would hope they would be. They are. Um, one thing that, okay, if maybe there was one thing that, that surprised me a little bit is that the research, and I think coaches don't always buy into that, this, maybe I shouldn't say that, is family members draw, family members much more than coaches and teachers and high school guidance counselors are the major influencers. Absolutely. I think, I think now certainly college coaches need to have those relationships with high school coaches and AAU and club coaches. Um, I coaches may perceive that those individuals have more influence at the division three level than, than they do. And then the opportunity to play <laughs> that was, I mean, there's so many studies where that's a, a big factor. I think most young men and women coming out of high school get that that might mean that they aren't going to walk into the starting lineup as a, as a freshman or a first year. Right. I don't think so. I don't think opportunity to play means that, but I think opportunity to play means they want to be able to see a path right. where they can get on the varsity field. I, I, so, I want a fair, I want a fair shot to get playing time. Just give me yes. a fair shot. Let me compete for it. And the example that you brought up, you know, at the start of the young man who walked into your office and starting to realize, wait a minute, I'm not, I'm not here to, well, why am I here? Because I'm not getting a fair shot. And so absolutely uh, agree with that. And the whole, you know, the, the, the parent aspect, I think that is, uh, it plays a huge role in decision-making in our culture from, you know, high school athletics to uh, into college. And I'll, you know, primarily what we found is that, you know, these are the parents who drove them to practice, paid the club fees, the private coaching, uh, Again, they've been very involved, and so that extends now into, and that's why they've done it is because my son, my daughter, might get the shot to go to college and be on scholarship and whatever that means to yep. them. Um, and now we're asking them sometimes as coaches or colleges, no, no, you're not involved. If this is the athlete's decision. <laughs> the heck it is. Mom and dad are saying, no, it's we're involved too. Yeah, well, and some coach, what you just described in that in that parent culture, Coaches and administrators in, in the research both describe um, that their perception that for some parents and it's in, and I coach travels travel baseball and you know and I mentor some some families um, that the perception is for the parents it's more about even the announcement it's more about the social media yes. buzz of my son or daughter's announcement than picking the right school and so coaches are reporting that that they don't feel that. They see even now with the marginal, quote unquote, marginal recruit, they're, they're, they say, oh, that always used to happen with the top recruit. It's now happening with, with everybody. And the parents aren't even necessarily wanting even to vet the school first. Now, again, not every coach was saying that, but I think um, I, I think I think there can be, be yeah. something to that. No. And, and so the big trend on social media is, of course, when you commit, it's, you know, splashed all over, you have a picture in the school's uniform and it's your, and then you have the sign, if it's an NCAA school, um, especially if there's scholarship, you know, it's a division one or division two school, you get to have your signing ceremony and then you get into the social pressure of, well, I'm a division three athlete, or I'm, I'm a step below some other kids on my travel baseball team or my club volleyball team. Um, but I want the same experience. I don't want people to think that I'm not as good or, you know, in the same, a different category than those kids that I really admire. And so Matt, you're right. They do go and they try to have this, you know, sort of the, the signing ceremony, the big, you know, the big, uh, splash. And so then we get into, okay, well, we can both agree. Maybe that's wrong. That's a dumb way to choose a college, but it's happening. And so, I always look then for the people that we work with, we have to, how do we practically maneuver that? Because if they want that, that's something we can't control. And if we need to keep up with the other coach who's going to give it to them, okay, from a, you know, what can we do on the social media branding side to, to duplicate that experience, uh, to give them that little sugar rush. Um, but, but is there, are there more things that need to be connected 
in in the decision making process in your opinion? Well, it's or from the research that you got. Yeah, I, I mean, I think one the whole what you just kind of said. You know, there was a coach I talked to that doesn't even like using the term "making the offer." You know, that because that's a note that you'll see on social media. Hey, I'm accepting the offer. Right. They felt like they have to to, to to keep up with with the Joneses. Right. Um, you know, I, in terms of what needs, well, what, one thing that is being done, and this this partially answers your question. I don't know that it completely it completely does, and it might be the one, only one area where because overall I thought. You know, I think I think communications happening. I mean, yeah, people hear what they want to hear and that stuff. But when it comes to the social media graphic, there there were coaches more in the team sports. Mm -hmm. I think I certainly I noticed all along the big difference between individual sports where if you run cross country or swimming or you're in track or even wrestling to a lesser extent, you can get entered in almost every single race, except for conference races and things like that. So those individual sports have the opportunity to get every single athlete on their roster legitimate time in a way that the team sports of basketball, baseball, soccer, softball, football, et cetera, field hockey don't. But one of the things is coaches are not giving the social media graphic to their marginal recruits. Mm. Um, and and it's, it's very clear. And so that was the one thing that struck me. It's like, Gosh, that that to me shows, while we have a system, we're going to let you on our roster. We're going to let you pay the tuition to be on our roster. But we're so embarrassed that you're on our roster that we're not going to let you announce it. Or at least announce it in, in with all the bells and whistles with all the, that some other recruit branding. gets. Um, you also get into the NACAC, the National Association of College Admissions Counselors, huge, really sort of the governing body uh, of, of college admissions and what their standards are. And one of the things that I've known from our work with NAC, uh, NACAC and, and what sort of their mission is, is they really focus on, or you know, again, one of their mission statements is giving accurate, truthful representation. Um, you know, we are we're sort of, they try to be very um, predisposed to giving as much time as possible for the decision. So, the 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 structure is there from NACAC to um, to sort of I'll say govern the conversation at least from an admission standpoint is that happening or where where is it breaking down did you find uh, between between admissions athletics or just the process it seems like there's something where uh, the the gears aren't all turning as they should yeah I, I think um, I think I think it's that's a double negative. I don't know that it's not not happening, but I also don't know that it's happening. And I guess what I mean right. by that is certainly with the top recruits, it, it's happening, right? But I think when you come to these um, admissions recruits or roster fillers, again, whatever term you want to use, I don't, I don't like any of the terms um, in all honesty, but um, it's the understanding that for the families, right? So any families that are listening to this, right? Here's, here's, here's some, some notes is, when that, if I'm sitting here at my desk and if I'm a coach and I have now a, a, a mother and a daughter, you know, and I coach women's soccer and, and I'm going to have conversations, you know, I'm going to have that 30 minute meeting. This is, they asked, they came for a visit. They said, Hey, we want to meet with the soccer coach. Okay. And so I'm, I'm having that conversation. I think in that 30 minute meeting, nothing is happening that, you know, I'm not, I'm not gilding the lily and I'm not telling her things, oh, you're going to play and all that, you know, I don't right. think. So disingenuine, our conversation is going to be genuine, but uh, in most cases, at the same time, if if that family isn't familiar with the process, that they are not, here's what they're not going to know. They're not going to know that you're a tier four recruit for me, that I'm, I'm having this 30 minute conversation with you to do a favor to admissions. I, I really don't care if you, you show up or not. <laughs> Right. You know, that's where it's not happening. And that's where the coach doesn't feel like they can have that. Now, again, coaches would report, hey, if I'm hitting my numbers, it all comes down to if I'm hitting my numbers and right today, it's when we're recording this, it's May sure. 17th. All right. It's getting late. It's getting late in the game. If there's some women's soccer recruit who's a who's a roster filler and probably most of the women's soccer coaches at this point have their numbers well in hand, they are going to feel comfortable telling admissions. Yeah, I don't know. You know, I really don't know that I need to talk with her. If I don't have my goal yet, I need to. I need to talk with you. Whether you know, I mean, I don't. There's no way I can feel like I can say no. Right. And so again, it goes to the more the understanding from the family standpoint 
as to having the knowledge where your son or daughter is on the depth, the recruiting depth chart of the schools you're interested in. Because I don't think that's happening. I'll I'll share, Dan. So I have you know two sons. You know, my, my daughter's in high school now. She's not going to be a student athlete. My oldest son was an, an admissions recruit. He knew it. I knew it. Every coach that we were talking to. So we knew it. There was no ambiguity when we're right. having those conversations. And my middle son was more a quote unquote legitimate recruit. And, and believe me, we saw the differences, sure. but not all family. You know, I've coached, I've been, I, I'm in the game. I, I know how it works. And so that, and I'm going to give me a very long answer and I apologize. No, no, I think right. that's where it's, there's not enough understanding as to what that 30 minute conversation with a coach means. Yeah. Well, and I think too, um, again, you, they're bringing in expectations, hopes, dreams, all the hard work, all the club fees, all the travel, whatever yeah. they're, they're bringing into that conversation. And I think part of it is, from that family standpoint is we want this to work. We want a place. We want to belong. I want to have the signing ceremony. I want to be just as good as the next family that we always go to the high school games with. And that's where you have maybe some some incorrect or, or faulty decisions uh, being made. And look, are there ever times where an, an athlete like that, uh, that was a you know the term you used, an admissions recruit, turns in, you know, develops, grows, gets better. And, you know, he makes the great story or she is the one that they focus on ESPN, you know, on a, you know, on, you know, so that there, there are those stories, but they're less common than, uh, than, than not. Yeah. Um, All they happen. You're right. Absolutely. So um, next thing I want to get into in this study is inviolable norms. I don't even know if I pronounced that correct. No, yeah, um, that's correct. Yep. Okay. Well, so um, walk a coach through that doesn't know what an uh, inviolable norm is and how this gets into um, the recruiting process and also some of the misrepresentation or portrayals that happen during the process, whether that's on campus or in conversations, um, kind of walk us through that, that part of the study and, and your thoughts on that. Yeah, right. So an inviolable norm, one of that would be just, yeah, as you are kind of already mentioned, institutional misrepresentation, right? And so making sure that you're giving a true portrayal of the institution, whether, and again, and now if we're talking specific in athletics, hey, a true portrayal as to, hey, here's where I see you fitting in as a, as a, as a freshman. Here's where I see you on the death chart. Um, here's what we do in terms of our off season. And here's where maybe you can, you, you know, where maybe we do see you down the road in a couple of years. Okay. You know, I think having those honest conversations, and I think, I think at some schools, those are happening and in some programs and others. So it's misrepresentation, not. just to be clear for the coaches listening, it's misrepresentation as it relates to that specific recruit that you're talking about and, and what their experience or role is within the, either the institution or their program. I think I think I think that would be that's one thing. I think another thing would be just being very honest with um, and with what your junior varsity schedule and raw and mm -hmm. looks like. Um, if you have a junior varsity or re reserve games sure. or whatever they're called, if, if that's where you're really projecting this this young man or young woman that that they have a a sense of that because most of the time, from my experience at Division three, right, the JV schedule it exists, but it's. It's smaller, and I'm not sure. saying that it shouldn't be higher, but you know, you're not. We just got done with baseball and softball here, right? So you have about a 40 to 50 game varsity schedule, but you're probably having about a 10 game junior varsity schedule, right? So you're not getting 40, you know, you're not getting 125 at bats um, at, at the JV level um, at, at most Division three institutions, and so having those type of conversations as to to what that entails, you know, and even and having conversations. Um, and this is this did come through in the research. Being clear in ter with terms as to a walk on, whatever that you know. I mean, you know, you're going to have to try out for a spot. Um, we may cut. Um, most schools aren't allowed to cut, but some were, you know. Um, but just so that you're using exact terms, you know, we don't travel with everybody. You know, our travel roster. Let's use football for example. It's probably like a fifty-five, whatever the NCAA mandates. You know, so our travel roster is X. I think it's having those very clear conversations, really, with all recruits, even ones that you are projecting. Because just because you're projecting them to be a starter doesn't mean they're going to emerge into a starter. Um, 
I think those are the things program specific, where it's just being crystal clear on, hey, here's what here's what it what it looks like. And and I think for the most part, that is that is happening. I, you know, I think coaches re- re- report that. But again, sometimes the message being given and the message being received are not the same thing. And it goes sure. back to what, what you and I have already been talking about is sometimes parents want it so badly to work that they aren't, they don't, they aren't hearing the message, even though maybe it is being delivered. Right. Well, and same for the athlete. I think they want it to work as well and, and just have a place. And then again, I think the issue for colleges in general, as well as, you know, individual programs is the athlete gets there. Uh, and I'll go back to the, the conversation you had with the, the one recruit who was in your office and they realized, wait a minute, I don't belong. The coach isn't really that interested. And then all of a sudden, uh, what you put on social media or the signing ceremony you had five months ago back at the high school when you were still there sort of fades away and now you're stuck at a school or in a situation where, why did I come here? What I don't have a role, uh, which then, of course, that's the, that's the result of the problems that, that, we've, uh, that we've been talking about. Um, so <laughs> I was going to ask a fairly simple question that's not answerable and extremely complicated actually but what is the fix based on based on the research in your opinion what are some things that both athletics and admissions needs to do differently or just if an individual coach is listening to this even if their their offices aren't going to make any changes just due to the financial responsibilities that they have and the pressures they're under but a coach wants to sort of take this the right way what what is uh, your recommendation? What What are some of the fixes to what you've been and we've been talking about? Well, you know, um, like I said, in, you know, you're off the hook because I said I don't know if you could anybody could answer that. But oh, I, yeah. I, I'd love your opinion. No, probably probably the the fix. And again, easy to have in a conversation right here yeah. on a podcast as opposed to really doing it would be coaches would get a little, would get more say on their roster sizes. Those rosters would be lower. Yep. Um, and that might mean upper administration has to make more difficult decisions in other areas of the college, which might mean cutting programs and, and layoffs and furloughs and things like that, that nobody wants to do be, for right. obvious reasons. Right? Sure. Because and one, one, you don't like. And, and, I, and I also think, man, too, you know, you mentioned, you know, that, um, you know, your college may not close. It may not come to that. But what you did just mention, I think is a reality over the next three or five years is that, you know what, we need to drop this degree. We have to lay off X number of staff. We have to reduce our expenses because the, just the cash flow isn't there. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think that, I think you're, you're right on with that, that part of it. Yeah. And that's unfortunate, right? You know, yeah. you know, and we've been blessed here. We're, we're at, at my employer. We haven't had to do that. Um, hopefully we'll be able to, to maintain that. But I also know that, gosh, you know, if that doesn't happen, yeah, that would stink that, you know, and it's easy for me to say as a full professor of a sport management program that has one of the highest number of students on the campus, right? I right, I right. probably have more job protection here than almost anybody. So it's easy for me to say things right. that, and it's not fair though to colleagues that, yeah, they would be the first ones out. Hopefully it never comes to that at any of these schools. I don't even want, even our competitors, I don't sure, want sure. bad things to happen to our competitors, but, but yeah, I, I think, I think really coach would have more of a say and, and we'd get those rosters down where the, the opportunities are more viable or we would, or, okay, I guess there's an, or let's, let's spin it more positive. We would find additional resources to fully staff those so that junior varsity schedules could be robust. Right. And which then means you have to staff that junior varsity staff yes. and, you know, then I, so I see this an interesting, you know, comment that you just made because the operational side of that is then the college has to say, you know what, we're going to take ten, oh, random examples, 10% of the money out of the general budget. We need to transfer that over to athletics so that they can be more of that. And I don't know if I'm just sitting here, that rattles around in my brain for a few seconds, you and me talking. I don't know if the other side of campus from athletics is okay with that. Oh, they wouldn't be. <laughs> and, 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 see, and, and there, so we always come back, it, it always comes back to finances and the money side of it. I think that is one of the core issues is that, and you give me your thoughts or correct me if you see me going down the wrong road, but we have this model, let's say from 
1920, 1930, or 40 of what a college was, where you really, you had to go to a college to get information. That's where all the information was at the library, at the college. If I didn't go to college, I didn't, I didn't have information. And we fast forward 100 years, the college model has not changed that much. Um, you know, we, I hear athletes all the time say, why do we have to go tour the library? I mean, am I going to even need the library? And, you know, it's a, go, it's a quiet place to go study, but um, do I, you know, is that going to factor into my decision? Well, 1940, it was absolutely part, you know, who has the best resources? Who has the best information? And you needed that. And now it's, the other, we, we, we sort of flipped it that college doesn't mean the same that it did. It's still important. Um, we have two kids that are out of college and another one on the way. I'm a big believer in college. It's our, it's our world and I want them to do well. But I see a lot of hesitancy and I see people digging in their feet when it comes to maybe changing what the model looks like. Um, we mentioned Adrian uh, College and the way they sort of have you know, now it's referred to as the Adrian model for really building a school and, and getting healthy financially and student athletes making up a big, huge portion of the, the campus uh, population. Um, I think some schools are, are hesitant to do that, even though I think it has fixed a lot of issues that, that Adrian was facing that a lot of that they don't face now. So, so I, yeah. And not to get too much in the weeds on that. Yeah. I mean, but Adrian, um, from really from doing some talking with them, they also had the they had the borrowing capacity mm -hmm. to you know from the banks to lend right. them the money to to make those investments. Right, there might be some small private colleges that just if you don't have the borrowing capacity or the immediate fifty million dollar donor, it, it it becomes a little bit more difficult. Sure, no, no, and and again, there's a lot of these. This whole conversation, I keep coming back to, this is a money issue, but what the driver of it is financial pressures that colleges are feeling. Yeah. And, you know, and some of those are just pure economics, demographics based on your geography. Um, I do think, again, just in some of my conversations and things that I've heard over the last two decades is there is a, in many, at, on many campuses, an unwillingness to look at what our model should be that's different. And and one quick example that um, the mode now for both students and athletes is I want to know where I'm going to college as soon as possible. Um, I don't want to, before, like when I was in school back in the 1980s, uh, I, I made my decision, I think April or May, no big deal, because we still had three or four months before school started and everything was good. Now um, you have a good student or a good athlete in May of their senior year, not knowing where they're going to go to school. And they're probably, um, you know, curled up on, in a ball on their bed and really having some doubts about what life is going to look like. But on the college side, what are we still saying? Well, you know, our board is going to meet in October to figure out the budget for next year. And then we'll give admissions their budget in January. And and then we'll figure out what the number needs to be in, in you know, and it, they're still operating on a model from decades ago, whereas the the market, these student athletes, the students have said, wait a minute, we want to know as early as possible. I want to know during my senior year of high school, if possible, where I'm going to go to school and that how I'm going to pay for it or what I'm going to get scholarship-wise. And so that's one big area financially that I see that the, the world's apart, that the consumers want one thing and the, the colleges that are selling it are still offering something that is not what the consumers are, are wanting. Yeah. No, good points. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So uh, again, um, anything that sort of wraps up this conversation, what, what were your big takeaways, I guess, as we, we kind of move away and we will try to post all this and give people a, um, anybody who's listening, the ability to go through some of the presentation that you did um, and some of the details, because it is a, fascinating study and Matt so needed just look at you know all the things we brought up and we really just scratched the surface of everything this touches um because I think you know certainly you and and me I we want I want colleges to succeed I want them to be healthy vibrant places uh, athletically from an admission standpoint just the it, what they mean to our culture and our country is so important uh, what what are the big things what what were your personal takeaways after being 
sort of focused on all this information for months and months that you conducted when you were conducting yeah. the study? I think my, the, the, the positive takeaway is um, while there is confusion sometimes during the recruitment process, the positive takeaway is no one's pressuring coach A to tell prospect B a bunch of lies, right? Sure. So that, that's not, I, not, not that I thought it was happening, but it's not happening. Right. It's it's more systematic. And I don't, again, I don't think there's lying. I don't think lying is taking place. Um, I think, you know, some of the takeaways or, or, or the recommendations, like, you know, um, mentioned before, I think coaches have to rec. If you're going to coach at the Division three level, you've got to recognize that being part of the enrollment team is a huge part of your, part job. Of your job. You aren't just yep. there to win yep. games anymore. That that those days are, are done. I think um, institutions. Um, have to find ways to be and it might involve being creative to better compensate their frontline um, younger admissions personnel to help retain them because again i think it all comes back to relationships um, i do think that um, the colleges that have their admissions staff have non-athlete goals i think that's worked for them and i thought i was going to get more pushback from mm -hmm. admissions folks with that recommendation and i really didn't um, and I think for families, again, one pick, you know, you've got to pick the school for the, for the big issue, the, the whole experience, the academic piece, the athletic piece, you know, everything. But I think families too, um, if you're in doubt whether or not your son or daughter is a top recruit, then they probably aren't, you know, I mean, and so, and in which case then you, you know, if, if your son or daughter isn't getting texted frequently by coaches and things like that, then, then they, and then in that case, then you've got to ask the tough questions about roster size, you know, and, and, you know, don't ask, Hey, is my son or daughter ever going to play? You know, that's, that's not the type of question you ask, but, but you ask the questions um, that get to that, to that answer in a different manner. But yeah. again, I, what, what really though, my love for division three sports, it grew. I mean, I really have such an appreciation for, and, and it's competitive. So again, any any families or listeners out there that think, oh, D3 is second rate, I <laughs> no did guarantee if you went to the American Rivers Conference conference track meet over the weekend, the the winning the times that didn't even get all conference would be better than the, than a good chunk. And I, and that's not an exaggeration of division two schools and even some division one schools. And um, so that's just one sport example. So it's division three sports is not glorified intramurals. <laughs> Um, it, right. it is not, um, especially in our conference and or in many other conferences as well. So but families ask, ask the important questions. Right. I, I think um, I think everybody means well. Everybody means well. We've got to though put it. We've got to find a way to package it all together a little bit better so that the communication is even a bit more direct and transparent. So, Coach, a lot of stuff, very practical insights that you can take and apply to your school maybe share this with people in admissions, work together on how to better connect with athletes through the messaging and avoid some of the issues that uh, that Professor Garrett brought up in his research that you just listened to. And basically, again, as, as recruiting gets tougher, as prospects become more and more difficult to reach and connect with, this is something that can really help your program and the school. And again, especially, I think it's applicable if you coach at a smaller school that's numbers driven where they are looking for coaches and their athletic department to help bring kids on the campus as students and athletes. Uh, we have every summer, including this summer, our National Collegiate Recruiting Conference. It's a collection of coaches that come together, attend and hear other coaches, experts, authors on recruiting and how to do it better and what the next year is going to look like. And we take about a two and a half day focus and really give coaches that attend a running start into successful recruiting at their school in the upcoming year. We do it every summer. We are doing it this summer. Go to dantutor.com, look for the conferences tab or the NCRC tab, National Collegiate Recruiting Conference, and try to attend. Come and be in person. So good because there are so many networking opportunities and conversations that happen uh, apart from the main sessions that are so valuable. But if you can't, there's also a virtual option where you get all the video, all the speakers that you can share with your staff, your department. Just wanted to mention that because uh, this was such a detailed topic we, we handled today. 
we also handle these very intricate detailed topics that really give coaches what we like to say is an unfair advantage as they go into their next recruiting cycle. So take a look at it, consider it. And hey, thank you for listening to today's podcast. We love bringing them to you. We will bring more and we hope that recruiting is going well. And if it's not, you can always email me, dan at dantutor.com. Go to the dantutor.com website for all the resources, information, and help you might need. We are here for you, coach. We love partnering with coaches and helping them become great recruiters. That's what we're all about, and that's what this podcast is all about. So thanks for listening. We'll be back with more soon on the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast. The College Recruiting Weekly Podcast is a production of Tudor Collegiate Strategies. For more information on everything we provide college coaches, athletic directors, and the rest of your campus, visit dantutor.com. Thanks for listening, coach.